Hey guys, Rafe here from Evolve Move Play. Today I'm here with the Sturettes, Juliet and Kelly. These guys are some of my best friends in the, um, in the movement world. Way back when, uh, I was struggling with a lot of different injuries and I came across Kelly's work, Mobility Wad, and that's where I really started fixing a shoulder injury that had been bugging me for years. That's where I really started fixing my ankles and it became a huge influence on me and understanding really how the human body moves. Uh, a couple years later, Kelly came to my gym, did a seminar for us, and he kind of listened to what I was doing, some of my ideas, and he said, man, you got to take this out. You got to go create something with this that's uh, broader than just a gym. And that was really kind of the, the push that started the Evolve Move Play process. So I'll always be a huge fan of Kelly and incredibly thankful to these guys for supporting my work. Um, so I'm really excited to do our first podcast for Evolve Move Play with the Sturettes. So thank you guys so much for being here. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. So the first thing I wanted to ask you guys about is just kind of you guys have done a lot of movement stuff. You guys came from uh, canoeing, both of you guys. You went into CrossFit, really early adopters of CrossFit. You guys got into you know, looking much more deeply at this idea of movement in general and how we can fix that. You know, your certification was called the, the movement certification, right? Mobility and movement. And you've been doing that for years. You've uh, worked with Carl Powley with the gymnastics stuff. You've done some parkour. And you know, that's, that's wonderful to me to see people who have that kind of broad spectrum movement. And I'm curious, kind of at this stage in your careers and your lives, what your movement practice looks like right now. Oh, it's, it's simple. The evolution is you go back to bicep curls, we're doing 21s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? For time. Lots of abs. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, uh, Juliet and I spent our whole lives <clears throat> at play as whitewater athletes. So, mm -hmm. and, you know, we were, we rode mountain bikes, we ran, we were outdoors, and then we backdoored in because you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there was very little formal movement training on top of extreme athletics, right? Mm -hmm. The thing you did was you spent more time in your domain. You paddled yeah. more, you know, that, that was the limiting factor. And one of the things that happened then is that we grew up, went to grad school, had some babies, <laughs> and then also became, became obsessed with this formalized movement, you know, because yeah. we needed to understand. You know, long before I found CrossFit, I was following Pavel's stuff. Okay. I was Olympic lifting, reading Dan John's work. I was down uh, south with an Olympic lifting coach. You know, we would be, you know, in our, you know, what club one, like the Globo gym. Juliet was an attorney, I was in grad school. And, uh, you know, I was doing Turkish get-ups with a barbell and people would rush over and be like, you, are you fallen, are you okay? And I was like, I'm trying to figure this out. And, and a lot of it was reading from a book. You know, mm -hmm. hey, I, I'm reading this, I'm gonna experiment with myself. We went into, you know, 15 years of real practice of that looked very formal mm -hmm. because of our time constraints and because there's a whole lot of world there that we were not exposed to. I discovered CrossFit, discovered I knew nothing about gymnastics, I knew nothing about powerlifting. I knew, you know, some of my early experiences around parkour were through, through CrossFit. And then what's happened as, as we've sort of mined and come to really under, have a good understanding as beginners, like we're now we have, we're like we're competent beginners in these domains after all these years, we have now really flipped back into going back outside and mm -hmm. the application. Because what we've found is, great, we weren't skilled, we weren't strong, we didn't we have big lungs, fit. we weren't fit. <laughs> we thought we were, but we were not. Right? Yeah. So now those things are competent and we realize, why are we, what's the application of all that again? Mm -hmm. The application is, I take those skills, that formalness, and I need to go translate it into freestyle movement, into for, into less formal movement situations. And what happens, I became a much better paddler, I became a much better mountain biker, right? The mm -hmm. running is interesting. And so our, our, we still live in this formal domain, but I can tell you though that we're interested in the expression of it outside. But Kelly's right, I mean, we spent a lot of years just focusing on CrossFit as our only mm -hmm. training. And 
it's been really in the last five years that we remembered that really what we like to do is play outside and ride our bikes and be on rivers and paddle. And, and so it has been in the last few years, we've really gone back to all that. We like to ski and it's been great because we have all this underlying formal movement training and we can pretty much show up for any of those sports without ever really training for them formally and be fine and you know not get injured. So That's, it's been, it's been yeah. cool to go back to that. Come out unharmed, awesome. which is amazing. You know, like last year, um, we both trained for the Molokai Outrigger Canoe Race. Mm -hmm. So I paddled solo from the island of Molokai to Oahu, and it took me six and a half hours across the Molokai Channel solo. Mm -hmm. And it's not grinding like, it's not like getting on an erg for six and a half hours. Yeah. It's very technical paddling with big waves and currents, and you need to paddle, and you better be fit, and you have to have the skill, and it was really great. And you have to navigate across an open ocean channel. Your I mean, brain is getting things. engaged. Yeah, exactly. oh, it's full on. And surfing yeah. and feeling and the kinesthetic feedback, it, you're maxed out. I mean, it's an expert race. And what, what's so nice is that, I, you know, I come out and I'm like, Burr. you know, I'm, it took me a week or two to like recover my central nervous system, but I came out completely unharmed, ready to go again. And my understanding of when we row our kids down the river, like, I don't have shoulder problems because I understand what the shoulder is supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like. And so that, the formalness, it's difficult to ever pull that out entirely because it teaches us the underpinnings of the movement. And then once you are, are meta aware of what's going on, you have the metacognition of how you move and what's going on, the world is your oyster. And the problem I think is sometimes when you come out of this, because we work, people don't understand that, yes, we work in very formal sports, but I work in skiing, I work in, you know, we need so many extreme sports. Mm -hmm. And what I can unequivocally say is that a lot of those athletes don't have any self-awareness about how they do things or why they do things, and they just can't do something. And as soon as we give them a schema in the formality of the gym, then we can come right back in and reapply it. And that has been the evolution of our own practice. Interesting. That's really interesting. That, that ties right into kind of the big question that I wanted to ask you guys, which was about this idea of how do we balance natural movement with, with a formal movement practice? So you talked a lot about this and in, you know, you've been talking about this for years, the idea that we need a formal movement practice. Um, now within my own work, what I've been doing is, is taking people out into the woods. And what I found is that when I kind of put people in the environments that their bodies evolve for, there's a lot of self-organization of really good movement solutions. So I, I, when I teach someone, say, a step vault, if I try to teach them a really um, systematic kind of step-by-step -step variation of the step vault, that can actually take longer than putting them in the right environment and just giving them a set of constraints and letting them go through it. And then when they learn it that uh, with the kind of self-organization, what we see is that the they kind of, the system's more robust because it, it happened at a subcognitive level. Well, you know, I think what, what's, what's really important to understand because one thing is that if we overlay what modern life looks like, people are really busy. Mm -hmm. And so what, one aspect of that is, what's the most efficient way to teach someone a skill? Well, hey, maybe teaching someone in this artificial fake outdoor gym, mm -hmm. right, which is like any parkour gym, yeah. it, it, it doesn't resonate and it doesn't block the patterns. And what we're really mm -hmm. saying, so for example, if I'm trying to get someone to do a better burpee or yeah. to learn the mechanics of jumping and landing safe, if I say put your feet together, automatically you're protected. So okay. I can block your movement patterning and automatically get a better response. If I'm on a, on a limb, mm -hmm. I'm going to get the same response. And so you, by m removing some of the variability possibility, you get the true expression of what we're after. So that becomes, you know, important. And also the, that aggregates, we can take that concept and say, you know, what is it about our lives and our daily practice? You know, if I sit, you know, I'm, I'm toast. You know, my, my butt is dead, my soul is dead, my, 
you know, diaphragm is toast, my pelvic floor is toast, midterm rotator, neck, I mean, just check the boxes, right? But if I force myself to be in a moving situation where I'm, I'm in constant movement and I, and I make the environment fit the physiology, then we're always gonna have a better solution. So, yeah. you know, at some point, you know, we can do carries and hope that we get there, but, you know, at some point, you know, we're t teaching people the formal aspect of it still works because we understand at that tissue level mechanical model now because we have so much that allows us to refine the play and that's what we need to do yeah we have to find this balance between the two is what i found in my practice the coach needs to know what the pattern that they're looking for how to cue it right so if you're trying to, to cue a burpee and you have a bunch of different cues that's going to to make it too difficult for the athlete to just self-organize the right solution but if you find that one cue the feet together or in my case putting them in a tree then all of a sudden it kind of flows from there and then we get move, uh, good movement solutions. Yeah, and you know what's really great about that is there's a concept that we've been toying with that uh, comes out of industrial accident research mm -hmm. and it's called self-organized criticality. Mm -hmm. And the idea around that is, well, you know, people are always gonna find solutions from the environment. That's the problem with human beings that we're so stinking clever. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a great say, I don't remember who said it, but like uh, someone's like, you know, the, it's easy to forget because the hands are clever. Yeah. Because I can manipulate, I forget what happens up here and it doesn't even matter because my hands are so clever, right? Yeah. That I can't really see what's happening because look, I still can grab the staff, but uh, this is a you know, crappy position, right? And all I have to do is go watch The Walking Dead right now and see that guy hold the staff with his valgus knees and you're like, you don't understand anything, right? <laughs> it's hard to watch, it's hard to watch. But what we've seen is... I doubt Rafe is watching a lot of Walking Dead, I've baby. never I seen it. Can, can I see your hand? Have you ever seen this, this correction? You gotta watch The Walking Dead, bro. Okay. All right, so the idea though is, what we see is the same way that you're saying, hey look, what decisions do I make as a teacher mm -hmm. of, of, of the human to move correctly yeah. and to move efficiently and naturally, what, what decisions do I make about environment or tools to elicit that response? Because what we know is the opposite is going to also happen. Instead of seeing self-organized fluency, I'm going to see a self-organized self criticality, which means yeah. I'm solving problems, and because they haven't gone critical yet, I think that's an okay solution. Yeah. And that that is my only critique of the movement natural system, is that, hey, we've run that experiment in swimming and biking and running, and, mm -hmm. and people get hurt because they don't have some formal training. But, but it's so easy to go down the formal training rabbit hole and forget that the whole point is, is out there. We've seen so many people do that in mm -hmm. our universe. I mean, so yeah. many people literally are in the gym. That's all they do. They never even go outside and do anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, we think Hurts that's their a, games, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. But well, well, I, I would say that we are... snatch as much. We are seeing, <laughs> we are seeing a, uh, a renaissance of people saying, okay, I, I'm, I've understood now. I've, I've done the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe the time that I should have had earlier. So, like, our daughters, we have a little group at our house that gets together once a week or twice a week. And one of the things we always do is we front squat. Okay. We always front squat. Yes. And so we're laying on this formal training early enough so the kids are aware. And you should see Georgia front squat, you know, my 10-year-old front squat's 45-pound men's mm -hmm. bar beautifully. And yeah. now she's realizing that when she, it gets heavy in the fifth rep mm -hmm. of that 45, her, her positions are robust and there's no deviation. Yeah. So now we have this formal movement training, front squatting in my house, right? that she can then express in playing volleyball in the instantaneous play games. And we didn't games. have a lot of that as kids. I mean, None. we had the president's physical fitness test and that was about it, but we didn't have any of that and it took us until, you know, we were both 30 years old when we really 
got out of formal sport and moved into what we call yeah. movement practice. Yeah, absolutely. So we were 30 years old by that point. So that, that segues us into a question I really wanted to ask. Juliet actually has to, has to go a little bit early today. So I really wanted to get into this thing you guys are doing with stand-up kids. So I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a PT for the Seattle Seahawks. And he's saying he, he, uh, he and the guys you work with are really worried about um, the next generation of kids coming up because they're, they're looking at athletes now who are much more fragile. Just in five years, a generation of athletes has Easy. come up Interesting. Yeah. who have gotten weaker, who are more injury prone, who are, who are falling apart much earlier in their careers, and they're saying, man, 10 years down the road, the work worse. of a PT in the NFL is gonna be just insane because you're gonna have blown ACLs all the time, you're gonna have blown Achilles all the time, and they're seeing that it's that population Profoundly athletic, right? Some of the most powerful yeah. fast movers that we've YouTube ever seen has changed everything. We can yeah. model, yeah. pick, yeah. we can, we can, <clears throat> we can copy, comma. But at the same time, these guys are actually totally sedentary, and they've been sedentary except for their uh, sports practice for years. They don't get to run outside. They don't get to climb trees. Right. They don't get to actually right. behave like a normal human being. And they get compromised by the environment. So yeah. take environmental compromise, yep. right? We're malnourished but overfed. Mm -hmm. We, we aren't moving through the whole day, tissues are congested, and you're adopting compensatory patterns. You know, if you look at the school, I mean, the, the Kaiser Family Foundation put out a study that said that kids between 8 and 18 across socioeconomic cohort, doesn't matter mm -hmm. where you're from, those kids are spending an average of seven and a half hours a day in front of a screen. Yeah. So the well, and I mean, the um, one thing I thought was really interesting and goes with what the Seahawks guys are saying is that uh, kids today run a mile an average of a minute and a half slower than their parents, right? So we're and, and your dad was slow. Right. So, <laughs> so you know, separate and apart from all the orthopedic dysfunction, there's like a general, you know, yeah. fitness issue that we're seeing. And so, you know, and it, it, it's all compounded. It's the food. It's the sedentary. And, and we've seen this in the Marines. Yeah. The you know the we because we get to see so many broad communities and so mm -hmm. many disparate communities everyone's talking about the same thing the young marines who come in now they're like they're not off the farm they cannot work they have terrible mechanics their feet are already collapsed and then we're like okay let's do the things that we know we need to do to be soldiers and it's a disaster mm -hmm. well and you think i mean we've worked with a bunch of professional athletes like seahawks yeah. level athletes who go to their two-a-day practices and sit for every other. Yeah. I mean, these are these, professional athletes. They're in the film room yeah. all day long. Yeah. They're, they're flying all day long. And, and, that, and it's not just in that, in that environment, though, because that's what they were doing in high school, right? Yeah. They were well, they're right, specialized right. Model, middle school. Right, right. Yeah. It's model. over and over again. So, yeah. so we're, we're, taking, we're, we're essentially taking human children and saying, just don't behave like a, a human, right? Um, well, let, let's, let's not say human children. Let's say... We're finally having a philosophical debate about what it means to be human. Yeah. yeah. What it means is, do you understand what a good spinal position is? You know, some physios have come at us lately from Australia and New Zealand, and they're like, hey, look, there is no correlation between postural dysfunction and pain. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, who's talking about pain here? What I can tell you is that your airway is <laughs> compromised, you can't put your shoulders over your head. Yeah, it may or may not cause pain, but that is the least of the conversations. And it may or may, may not to cause have. pain today, but. What are we talking it may about? May, 30 years. It may or may not cause pain under the metrics that we're looking at right, in that right, sample size sad. with the size. Yeah. But, but, you know, but, but ask yourself, what, how does it feel, right? Well, yeah. or, or how does it, how functional is it? Yeah. Show me your backflip. Show me your arms yeah. are over the head. So what we're, I think what's happening is we're starting to 
all agree on a language mm-hmm. of the spine and a language of the shoulder. And we're saying if these are the things that we should build. You should be able to hip hinge, you should be able to squat, you should be able to somersault. Why can't you do a handstand yet? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some fundamental pieces that make us human. And I, I think what's happening now is we can start to have a conver- greater conversation about saying, what is it about the environment that isn't reflected in the physiology and more important, the movement, because that's the thing, that we are movement animals. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, what we saw at our kids' school, because we volunteer at field day every year, because mm-hmm. it's super fun, is we like to do the sack races. And when we saw, the, a lot of the kids literally lacked the range of motion to get into the sack. <laughs> they couldn't put their hip up. They couldn't bring their hip <laughs> to here to get the They didn't have hip up. range of motion. And, um, and then, I mean, then it was a whole different story when we actually got them to try to jump. I mean, a lot of the kids literally didn't have the, enough hip mm. extension to jump. I mean, you know, every kid should be able to do a sack race like it's their job, mm-hmm. you know, and we try to throw in little things like do a forward roll and, mm-hmm. you know, with the sack on and, you know, maybe only 10% of the kids could actually do a forward roll. You know, a lot of kids would just kind of fall and, you know, squirm around on the ground. And that was what was, you know, because the only thing in their life that could cause that kind of orthopedic dysfunction is sitting too much. So we had this moment where we were like, oh my God, why didn't we realize this earlier? Mm-hmm. You know, we've been telling everybody you can't sit and we've been talking to professional teams and military and getting all these cool photos from people all over the world who've created these makeshift standing desks. And then, you know, we're just carting our own kids off and they're sitting <laughs> all day at school. So and we, we were kind of horrified when we started we realized with, that. You know, with our 10 year old now, you know, Georgia started to walk more and more like a duck mm-hmm. and she was basically growing like a weed and starting to solve mechanical problems. She was starting to self-organize in a critically difficult way. And this is just going to be an ACL statistic. I guarantee yeah. you. Higher Q angle than my other daughter, right? Georgia, or Caroline and Juliet, they're they're almost varus in their, like, mm-hmm. bow-legged, like, torque, torque pigs that you guys are. <laughs> and then and then Georgia and I have a higher Q angle, right? Yeah. And, but there she was, twisting. We were, were taking her to a rolfer. We were trying to move it. And it was only until we removed the noxious stimuli of sitting that we literally have started to see her unwind. But it, we were going down the path. When we wrote Ready to Run, we noticed that all of the first graders, uh, kindergartners, run beautifully. They run like... They run like human beings are supposed mm-hmm. to run. It doesn't matter what's on their feet. They pull. They fall. Mm-hmm. It's like it, you can't. They don't need to warm up before they no. go to recess. Sprints. Beginning of first grade, same thing. Halfway through first grade, half the cohort splits, mm-hmm. and you start to see heel striking. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Those kids went home and asked for a bunch of heel strike for Christmas. Yeah. Like, <laughs> What you're seeing is that they have adapted to that, that yeah. habitus pattern. And now, now we can start to have this conversation. What does it mean to be a human being? Yeah. And then can I make the environment reflect the physiology? Yeah, because physiology? what's not, like, technology's not going away. You know, our kids are going to be on technology for their whole lives a lot. And mm-hmm. we limit we limited our house. We limit uh-huh. it, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. it's going to be a huge part of their lives, even more a part of their lives than it is part of ours. So it's this thing of how do we make the environment work and we with can't, their physiology? we can't even limit it too much because if you you know that they're going to have to have competency with technology right. to be successful right. in this modern right. world. So we have to teach our kids the same way we teach them to brush, you know, to brush our teeth or eat, or this is how we sleep, or this is how we interact. Mm-hmm. This is what it means to inoculate yourself. And once again, we start taking away movement variability. So if you're standing on mm-hmm. your desk and your desk is this high, go ahead and try to slouch. Yeah. You, you can't. Mm-hmm. And we've automatically protected you. And so I think that's what we want is if we give people a, uh, an organizing principle, then suddenly they can apply that to, hey, what environment am I in? What decisions can I make at the moment that try to reflect and respect who I am as a moving animal? Yeah, that's beautiful. One thing I talk about with, with my clients is this idea of movement hygiene. 
right? So yeah, you're, you're practicing, you're, you have a practice that's maybe an hour a day. But what's happening those other 23 hours of the day? So you, you, can't, you can't fix these problems within wow. that spell, even two hours, even three hours, because how many hours are you sitting on top of that? And the way that you're sitting and the way that you're driving. You know, I, one thing, so my bad pattern historically is a lot of kyphosis. So I'm driving in the car with my wife and I'm talking to her and I'm like, I'm doing this again, aren't I? Right? Like, like if <laughs> I pay so attention. Yeah, so then you're like, this is so great. But I can feel it. I can feel like, oh, that, 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 that. When I actually pay attention, when I start paying attention to my body's feedback, that's not good. It's, it's lazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting well, on these tissues. How, how about not lazy, but how about deeply patterned? Deeply yeah. patterned, that, yeah. That the neurobiology is known to us now, that mm -hmm. these, you're wired for movement, and that those neural pathways wire together and say, hey, this is the default. I'm stressed. You mm. default to what you know and what you've practiced the most. And why would your physiology or your mechanics be any other way? In fact, mm -hmm. we know it is. You know, it's, it's a movement is a physical manifestation of what's happening in the brain. That's all it is. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and you can't tell me that this isn't a better shoulder position than this. <laughs> this may, you may still be world champion of the world, but guess what? Someday, this yeah, is the limiting catch factor. Up with you. That's right. Yeah. You know what I think, what I've come to believe is even though we own a gym and we, of course, believe in exercising and movement practice, that I think I actually value that less now than the concept of moving all day. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I read recently that the gym memberships in this country literally track perfectly with the increase in obesity, right? Mm -hmm. So that's not working. Like people going to the gym for an hour a day is not solving the problem. Mm -hmm. And it's because people have gotten in this mentality that they, you know, check the box and do their one hour of cardio a day and some little weightlifting here and there, that they're fine, that they're going to be protected. But really, it actually would be better for those people to quit going to the gym and figure out a way to move throughout their day and eat pretty well. And they would actually be more healthy than yeah. if they did that That's what you know, formal exercise. 100%. We are trying to advocate for, look, you need a few things at home. You can develop a physical practice at home and then you can make decisions. We get up early and wake mm -hmm. our kids up early so we can walk to school. Right? Like easy. And you know, we yeah. got in a bad habit for a couple years at school where we were getting up too late and we were all sleeping mm -hmm. in and then we would have to drive our kids to school. And and On then the I gym. read I read that book, The Power of Habit, and yeah. it was especially with walking to school was like a light bulb for me because I realized that we weren't getting it together to walk to school simply because we were waking up twenty minutes too late. Like it was just a 20 minute habit difference mm -hmm. and like we just figured it out and we committed to it and now we walk to school every day that's that's one of the most important movement hygiene practices to me is walk walking. and especially walking early in the day because you're getting that early morning sunlight that's resetting your circadian rhythm so one of the things that i've been really working on in my own personal practice is uh when i get up with my kids we go for a walk before i take them to daycare and and that's huge. You know what? It was really interesting. Just a couple weeks ago, the, the kids were sick, so I, we kind of our whole schedule got messed up. And I was out of it for a week, and I've had insomnia problems my whole life, and lately they've been much better. And I got to the end of the week, and all of a sudden I couldn't fall asleep at night. I wasn't sleepy at night. Mm, interesting. It's like, yeah, huh, I haven't, had, I haven't had early yeah. morning sun exposure. <laughs> I haven't had an early morning exercise to reset all those cortisol rhythms. Boom, there it is. That human beings used to walk all the time. It's, you know, uh, Katie Bowman's a friend of both of ours. We talked a lot about her. She talks about it. This is probably the biggest missing movement nutrient. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, Dr. Andy Wiles, like, it's the cross pattern motion or it's the fact that you're designed to move. And that Ground. means a lot, <laughs> yeah. you're going to walk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you should probably walk in something that looks flat or barefoot. Yeah. So what's interesting now as we get into this conversation, well, because people are like, hey, I have two kids mm -hmm. and this job and it's dark when I go. I mean, we, we 
we're working with Nike on the fuel band, and mm -hmm. we got some fuel bands, put some on our kids, and, and our kids would be like, look how many steps I did. It was raining, yeah. and literally their steps dropped in half. Yeah, yeah Just like Georgia was for, doing like 12,000 steps, rainy day, 4,000. Yeah. God forbid you live in Seattle, where it rains <laughs> yeah. all the time. But what's interesting then is that we're saying, okay, well, hey, this environment does affect what we see mm -hmm. is in the winter in Iowa, the yeah. movement options are different. Kids aren't as active necessarily. You know, we don't go outside. We don't expose ourselves to cold. We're not cold. We're not hot, mm -hmm. right? We've homogenized so much. We've stopped being, just being uncomfortable. Well, even bit. just recess, like our kids' school, yeah. if it's raining, they don't go outside, yeah. which to me is crazy because, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in a snowy back in, climate. Back in Nam. Back in Nam. <laughs> but I mean, we all had our snow clothes. And yeah. I remember going to the little mud room in first grade and putting my snow clothes on to go outside and play at recess and come back in. So the fact that my kids don't even go outside to play at recess is just crazy. We walk in the rain. Like yeah. We, you yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah. But but was I don't want to lose this point because the question now is okay. I have this pure movement practice outside. I'm, I'm getting the sunlight, and mm -hmm. all I have to do is quit my job, not be with my family, <laughs> right. homeschool my kids, right? Grow my own kombucha, mm -hmm. right? You know? <laughs> so the question is, if we, you know, because we evaluate a lot of the experience of people's programming yeah. based on how does this scale? Mm -hmm. How does this impact a working family yeah. who can't, who doesn't have the flexibility that we have? <clears throat> and so then we need to start saying, well, what are the pieces? Can a night walk after you know moving? Where where can we slip this into a practice? And what are the components of? And what I'll tell you about our gym, our gym culture is that we really are saying, hey. You know, we've gone away from maybe like tight couplets and triplets to, boy, we better teach walking and crawling and, and we've got to really restore the patterning that we're not getting because that is the thing that's going to make the base for the next piece. Yeah. But if I could just interrupt, like the reason we love the standing desk mm -hmm. is it's just so simple mm -hmm. and it's just such an easy thing that anyone, whether you're a two person working family, you can go to work all day and just be in constant motion. Your kid can be in stand, you know, can be in motion all day at school. I mean, it's just one of the simplest, most universal solutions. And certainly it's not the end all be all. And we've never said that, but it's just so simple and easy and you know, for people who don't so, have lifestyles like that. The, the, the desk has a bar at the bottom that pivots yeah. because what you're seeing is, okay, now I'm not sitting, mm -hmm. but now I'm static again. Mm -hmm. We're not designed to be static no, for very long. we're not supposed to be long. statues. We're supposed to be walking. You're supposed yeah. to walking. And I always tell people, I'm like, have you ever meditated before? Mm -hmm. And they're like, yes. And I was like, how did you back to you after the first 20 minutes? They're like, oh, it's burning. Yeah. It's burning. And I was like, so, so when you sat in a good position for 20 minutes, you died. So mm -hmm. tell me how your child's going to sit for eight hours if you can't manage 15 minutes yeah. of sitting in a good position, right? So. The idea is you. we want to create movement-rich environments. So then we start saying, okay, what is it about the human that makes us human? Let's make the environment reflect. So at our school, our desks have a bar that moves. So kids are in constant motion, onto fascia, on the bone, on the mm. muscular system, right? Balancing, they can lean. And guess what? When they're ready to sit down on the floor, now we've introduced a squat, now they sit on the floor, now they work on the floor, now we have hips in full range of motion. And by the way, all you had to do is take the chairs out. Mm -hmm. and, and give kids the option of being here or here. That's that block pattern and suddenly we start to see better movement hygiene through the course of the day. We just have to flip our brains about deciding what is it that makes us human. Yeah. You know, and, and we I'll tell you, we are in a cohort, Juliet and I are in our forties. We work with a lot we know all our working friends are not nerds like us, right? Mm -hmm. And they struggle with finding time to train, exercise, still exercise, like yeah. soul cycle is exercise for them, right? Mm -hmm. Breathing hard is exercising, yes. not moving. Yeah. You know, plus maintain a job, 
be a good husband, right. be Sometimes a good dad. See your kids. See, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that's the tricky part because the first thing that goes is the movement practice, which is the thing that makes us human. Right? Yeah. That's the thing that supports us. And so that's why when I said, hey, I think you should have some formal movement training, but that can come in a lot of shapes and sizes. The thing that we're talking about now is what is your daily physical practice? What can you control? Did you eat six to eight fists of vegetables? Could you control your sleep hygiene? Did you just mobilize for 10 minutes? Like show me that you're consistent day after day after day, even if that means you didn't breathe hard today, you went for a walk around your barefoot with your kids, boom, movement practice, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's where we need to start changing the conversation to say, stop being so stinking heroic and be consistent. Mm-hmm. Well, even just silly things, like it seems so cliche, but all these people are starting to take walking meetings now. Yeah. Well, that's a huge deal. I mean, if you just got, you know, not even including a standing desk, if you just got people to take two or three walking meetings a day, that would already make a huge difference, mm-hmm. you know? But and, and we want people to recognize that like this thing is designed to be ridden hard and put away wet. Mm-hmm. It can do that. So yeah. every once in a while, you should do something crazy. But you have to set up preconditions so that when you do that crazy thing, you know, you don't go through your kneecap, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's the problem, right? We're like, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to do this team and training run. Oh, boy, now I have chondromalacia patella or I've torn my meniscus. And now what happens? So you're going to be 110. We better start putting in the hygiene yeah. pieces that yeah. make us there. We have to have essentially the, that baseline human movement in general, before we try to do the heroic human movement. Yeah. One thing you know, that's happened with me in my practice and, and didn't know all these things, you know, hadn't been exposed to this, didn't have this great movement education. And, and I got to the point where, despite all the stuff that I knew, it was taking me an hour and a half to warm up to be able to do what I knew that I could do. Like the big jumps, the swings, the crazy stuff that I can do. And, and that just seemed, that seemed insane. Like, and this anathema is, this to what does mean? Yeah, human. what is this? <laughs> Where's my ready state? Yeah, I should, exactly. I shouldn't have to warm up to a full range of motion. Yeah. yeah. I should be able to instantaneously do what I'm doing. So I started, you know, ground sitting, squatting, um, uh, kneeling, cross-legged, straddle, just uh, very uh, the positions as much as possible. Started hanging every day, right? Just take a movement snack, make sure that shoulder is getting full extension. Started like practicing. That. Movement snack. Yeah, movement snack. I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, you know, people go out for a smoke, right? Like, why do people go out for a smoke? Part of it's the, the obviously the addiction to nicotine, but it was also an opportunity to get up from your desk. It was also an opportunity to socialize with other people. So you don't you can throw away the nicotine and keep the habit of getting up and moving. And, oh, and in fact, you can substitute with caffeine. We're fine. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when I used fun. to work at my old law firm, literally no one would get up out of their desk for 10 continuous hours, except for the two smokers we had. They got up four or five times a day, and at the time I was like, oh, those smokers. But yeah. now I look back on it, and we all just sat there. They yeah. at least got up. I, when, I, when I was working at uh, my first job was at Taco Del Mar, slinging burritos, and, uh, and the smokers would take breaks, and I was jealous. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go take a break. I'm just going to run sprints in the courtyard. <laughs> <laughs> but people need this. People need to, to recognize that, that it's totally an unnatural thing for a human being to sit for a prolonged period of time. And yet we're still going to have to produce something at work. Mm-hmm. So how do I make these decisions? You know, exactly. Chevron locally shuts the computer system down every hour for five minutes. Beautiful. Just yeah. boom, it's locked for five minutes. Everyone's like, ah! And then they stand up and they're like, ah! And they're like, oh, how you doing, Ted? What's going on, Bob? <laughs> yeah, 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 but apparently it's around. been great for their culture. Like, people actually talk to each other mm-hmm. and, you know, collaborate. And, you know, we just, when we were at BBDO, what was the, I can't remember the little acronym they used, but, you know, they, they switched to a totally open plan office and they basically kind of made this rule for their employees that, that if you can go talk to someone instead of sending them an email, like, that's what we expect you to do. And because it's open plan, they all have 
have these little red light, green lights on their computer. Yeah. So if you turn your red light on, it means, hey, I'm trying to get something done here. Like, mm -hmm. don't just interrupt me and talk to me. But otherwise, green light on. You know, the idea is like, don't send internal emails. Get up and go talk to someone. That's awesome. And you know, that's unusual, but cool. We you know, I think it's amazing. I know you guys because of the internet. I, I've been traveling all over the world teaching because of the internet. It's a powerful tool. Yeah. But it, 60% uh, of communication is nonverbal. Within verbal communication, we have tone, we have phrasing, we have all these things that are all getting lost when we are inter, uh, interfacing just with text. And we're moving more and more to this interface just with text. And just like movement is a nourishment, right? Socialization is a nourishment. Um, well, one thing, we, talk about a gestaltist, like, <laughs> what does it mean to be human? Yeah. Like, how do we interact? Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you really are nailing it that what we can start to say is hey, what is it, what are the core principles or values? You know, hey, like, why aren't you eating food? Just like food. <laughs> like, we went through a phase a couple years ago where we were like, we're busy. Let's grab a bar. We'll have a bar. Oh, like, here's a food bar. It's a paleo yeah, it food bad. bar. It and what it was, it was, it wasn't food. No. It was a food-like block of substances that kept us nourished. Mm -hmm. And it was devoid of food. And we literally were like, we can never eat another bar ever yeah. again. So we just stopped buying bars. And, but and lo and behold, I was like, boy, I better eat some eggs for breakfast. You know? yeah. And that's the kind of thing that you have to be aware of what does it mean to be human. Yeah. Yeah, so the motto of my brand of all move play is move like a human. And that's what I think my role is as a teacher. But I think as soon as you start kind of taking on that, it, it obviously is so much bigger than that. Yeah. It's, it's really about how do we live like human beings? How do we foster positive social connections? How do we get, make sure we're getting sunlight? How do we um, eat like a human, right? Because food isn't just the nutrients in the food, it's the preparation of the food. It's the ritual. Yeah. It's the yeah. uh, sitting down with another human yeah. person. Yeah. There's so much that goes into that right there, and that's all part of, of living like a human. And when we, you know, we're we're all trying to sacrifice these these human aspects of ourselves: walking, squatting, eating well, so that we can be more productive on a computer. But in the long run, it's 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 sacrificing something that that's gonna it, it breaks us down in the long run, right? You well, may be more yeah, productive as you're preparing for your exams, but when you adopt that as the habit for your life, you're taking away the resource that makes you successful because that resource yeah, is yourself. Yeah, you're probably not more productive. You know, there's all no. those studies that show people think, you know, they're all sleep deprived and they think they're super, you know, if they self-test themselves, they think they're super productive mm -hmm. and turns out they're horrible, yeah. right? So we also kind of lie to ourselves thinking we're productive when really we're not. It's we're just spinning our wheels because oh. we're too tired and okay. haven't moved our bodies. I mean, and really, now, now, it's, now we're like, woo-woo, you know, I'm going to burn oh. my clothes and be cold. <laughs> and no. and I, I think what people realize is that you can derive immediate benefit in your quality of your life and experience by making subtle, small changes that integrate into your already life. Mm -hmm. You don't have to throw away your life. What you no. just have to do is start conceptualizing it slightly differently. And that means, you know, like if we all just pooed on the ground... <laughs> we would at least squat and maintain yeah. that position because the second you can get into a poo shape, your body's like, whoa, bro. Like, there's no tree to hold on to. You're going to work it out. And just that, you know, okay, that's a silly a silly analogy, but in Japan and in, in Asian countries where they toilet on the ground and sit on the ground and sleep on the ground, the incidence, incidence of falls in the elderly drops to zero and the incidence of people don't fall because yeah. they're always getting up and down off the ground. I was just talking to... Chris McDougall, who wrote mm -hmm. Natural Born yeah. Heroes, right, mm -hmm. which is great, and we were we were talking about the fact that these 16, 7 year olds were covering eight and ten miles, eight hours in the mountains. Mm -hmm. He's like, because they had to. Yeah. And I think what we've lost is the fact that we are such capable animals. But 
we're not we're not even expressing that or laying the foundations to be capable. We got to build the foundation. You have to build a human body, and then you have to do what it takes to maintain it. And we have we do have this problem where modern life is not natural, right? We need to be able to move like a natural human being, and we need to be able to find the kind of targeted interventions that are going to allow us to hold on to that capacity as much as possible yeah, as we and, live these we really remain, unnatural lives. We can remain agnostic about how you get there. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I think, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about CrossFit is at least it's brought in a, a language of saying, hey, look, you know, you should be able to do some of these te basic tenets of formal movements. Mm -hmm. And underneath there, we start to create a language, if we're smart enough to see what we're doing, between, you know, of a practice that I can work in in an hour and do some basic gymnastics and cartwheels and rolling and mm -hmm. stands and play, you know, we're getting to the place where we can start to create a, a language vocabulary, but we, we don't hold on to that. You know, we're like, as long as, if, look, if you want to, and I always laugh at like, if you look at Ido Portal or any of the move Nat stuff, it looks like you, as long as you're crawling on the ground, you're fit. <laughs> as long as it's like capoeira, you must be fit, right? And, but that's just a different language to solve the same sets of problems. And that's what we should show people is that you should be able to do all of these things. In fact, take yourself out and go suck in another language mm -hmm. and then go suck in another language and see how you can resolve what you think are the disparities but is this common language like it's like we're all speaking Esperanto underneath all mm -hmm. these different things the romantic language of love and uh, but the idea here is that there is a root understanding of what it means to be human and you're absolutely right we don't care how you get there just make sure that you get there yeah absolutely so I wanted to, to we talked about that socialization piece that um, that uh, how do you live like a human piece? And I wanted to, to just ask uh, Juliette and you about this before before she has to leave, because it's something that I have been enormously impressed by when I've come down to San Francisco CrossFit. Of all the CrossFit gyms that I've worked with, of all the different gyms that I've gone into, I can't say that anywhere else has had as much positive energy when you just walk in the uh, door as San Francisco CrossFit. Someone comes up to you, uh, talks to you immediately, is open, is friendly. All the staff are clearly engaged, really enjoy each other. I've noticed over the years of coming to visit that the staff is retained here. It's a lot of the same people, years and years and years. And when we're, movement is great, but we are social creatures. And in order for, you know, the thing that holds a lot of people back from having a better movement practice is that they don't feel um, supported in it. They, don't, they feel like they're going to be a weirdo if there's the uh, person sitting on the ground. They feel like they're going to be weirdo if they're out there jumping between tree branches. So they need that social proof. So I wanted to just kind of ask you guys, how do you go about being a leader and creating a positive community that people can really be engaged in and feel supported by so that they can make this something that they're really valuing in their life? Easy. Lots of cocaine. <laughs> we keep people amped up all the time. We have, we have, we have bad, dirty pictures That's of everyone. Okay. That we Look, oh. some of this is, when Juliet and I started, this is now this month. 10 year anniversary of our mm -hmm. formal gym. We were training for about a year and a half in our backyard until our neighbors were like, shut up! Six in the morning, you know, we were being loud. But 10 years of this thing, and what we first started out was said, where do we want to train? What's it look like? Mm -hmm. Our friends are yeah, gonna be Yeah, what's the here. vibe gonna be like where we yeah. wanna work out? And, mm -hmm. and you know, maybe other place I've gone, I, I agree, I have been to more gyms, CrossFit and non-CrossFit gyms on the planet, and you can tell really quickly like, I'm like, I could never train here. Like, yeah, I yeah. Hate you can tell, you can walk in the door and feel the vibe. Mm -hmm. I, I know. And yeah. some of that is just, it's just a practice. People don't realize, don't know what they don't know. So what we consciously say to our staff and, and talk about a lot and prove is that this may be the only hour people have any positive 
unconditional regard, right? Unconditional positive regard, where literally that's it. This is the only time someone's like, hey, really great job today. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I did something good today. And, you know, some of that is like, when we hit the door, we're like, hey, we, you know, and just, it's just a practice pattern that this is what our coaches come in and they see us do it and they see yeah, the other senior the coaches. That's the expectation. You better shake hands, otherwise you're gonna get crushed. So if people are like, well, I better shake hands. Yeah, and, like, and just to interrupt really quickly, you know, we've had this long-standing tradition of at the beginning of every class, everybody's got to introduce themselves because we have a lot of visitors or there may be a new member. And, you know, now a lot of gyms have adopted that, but it started at San Francisco CrossFit was this idea that, you know, it's a new thing for a lot of people. They're coming in. Sometimes people are nervous about coming into a group class or they're a visitor, so they don't know anyone. And that immediately just breaks down a barrier of just everybody getting in. So our our regular clients are used to it. They know they're going to come in and have to introduce themselves and meet new people and partner up with someone they don't know. And then as far as the staff is concerned, I think one of the things we've focused really hard on with our staff is creating a place where they can be true professionals. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of gyms are set up so that it's like a hobby job that you can do for a little while in your 20s, but then once you actually like want to buy a house or take care of your kids, it's not a sustainable job. Um, So that's been a big focus of ours is creating a staff of like professional coaches and actually paying them and supporting them in a way that they can actually like have a baby and still work at our gym or actually live in San Francisco, which is really expensive. Have 401k. Yeah. And, you know, actually like save for retirement and do some really basic stuff. Um, And that's been really important for us. And for me as the owner, you know, the way I see it is that my staff are my clients, not the clients who come in the gym. You Mm -hmm. know, they're the, the clients who come to work out are the clients of my staff. Yeah. But I am there to support my staff. And, um, yeah, and I, I would just, you know, add to that, that we also have a creative freedom that we're funny and stupid, but we're, they're learners mm-hmm. and they're all very uh, curious, curious, yeah. but also fluent in other people's languages. Mm-hmm. But we also create a place where like, what is it you want to do? How do you say that? Like, I'm a, and we have this guy who's run a hundred ultras, mm-hmm. you know, and he's part of our staff. And that looks very different than Diane Fu, who's obsessed with Olympic lifting, yeah. but allowing our coaches to express their own movement practice and giving them freedom as long as we all speak the language and yeah, the you know, can do the language. same, yeah. you know? So yeah. Kristen Newman, you know, talks about, you know, she was second in the world's in strongman <coughs> last year. But she talks about, you know, like, I just dream for the day where I can just do some cardio and swing a, <laughs> swing a dumbbell and, like, do gymnastics again, you know. And, and that's what's really interesting. I think we, we, we create an environment of, of excited about process, about learning. You know, we don't have multiple gym locations. We mm-hmm. have one gym. Why? Because we think the secret is that we're all getting to coach and be coached that if there's an excellent mover in the room, we're all listening while we're doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's always feedback. There's no place to hide. You have to be a beginner in a room full of lions. And that just brings everyone up, you know? It's really, it's really interesting. And, awesome. and we, don't, we don't put the brakes on that. We're like, this is what we want to teach. Here are the goals. And then we let it let our coaches be successful in their own experimentation. And we're not micromanagers. I mean, we in a lot of ways are really casual about a lot of the thing. You know, I mean, we're total pros, but we're really casual about some things. So we let people be themselves. And you know, we don't have a certain way. There's only way. There's only one way of doing things. That's our way, and our way is the best. I mean, we don't see it that way. We we bring in this really diverse staff with super diverse interests and kind of let them be who they are. You know, obviously with the basic fundamentals. But you know, we've got a 
really unique and diverse staff and they all really like each other and get along and you know I think that helps the whole positive vibe as you come in the door. And, and you can do some things like we have a 160 hour intern program. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I mean that's not being at the gym 160 hours, that means that's one on one or you're in 160 hours of shadowing a senior coach or a practice. So that starts to solve because people start to be like oh I understand how I the affect I need to have mm-hmm. to manage these people who've been training here for 10 years, right? Yeah. And then we have some simple rules like I should never have to shout over the music ever. Mm-hmm. Music creates privacy and intimacy, but the coach can, I can be shouting like knees out, but it's really for that guy over the, across the room. Yeah. And so the, we never shout over music and we have simple rules like keep your fucking shirt on, <laughs> right? Don't, you know I mean? Like if you want to be outside rolling the grass, take your shirt off. But uh, in the meantime, you're in my gym. Don't make everyone feel creepy with your like man boobs, like quit that. And so by establishing some of those boundaries, we create a place where it's really safe for it's people welcoming. to come. welcoming. We are trying to and, create a really welcoming environment. And we hate elitism. And yet we have so many elite people to practice. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we had this uh, we had this Olympic lifting kind of badass guy who owns a business. And he came in and he missed a lift. And he got really pissed. And I just stood there and he was swearing. And then he came over and he's like, that was really bad, wasn't it? And I was like, that was really bad. In fact, that was just disgusting and childish. She was like, you're right. And he just got so shamed because he realized we we're all just like, really? Watching him, yeah. You just missed a yeah. lift. And you think that's important to you? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that thing self-perpetuates. And it is difficult. Culture is so difficult. It's, 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 it's huge. It's really difficult. We've, you know, within the parkour community, we've seen that the guys who start a community have an enormous impact on it. So, you know, people may be thinking about movement when they're thinking about this, but if you're going to be a leader in movement, it's really important that you think about, about these aspects of it. Um, you said to me in 2012, when someone comes into your gym, it's your responsibility to give them that moment of unconditional positive regard. And that's stuck with me ever since. That's influenced the way that I've tried to orient around how I treat my employees, people I work with, how I treat my, my clients. It's huge. It's a huge thing to, to understand that you know, you can have all the best information in your brain in the world, but if you don't have an affect, if you don't have a way of, of creating a rapport with people, it doesn't matter. Oh, holy crap. Now Man, we're starting to... Dude, we just opened I a mean, can of, like, touchy feet. I could go yeah. off here, but, you know, people need to feel appreciated, and this is going to sound really dorky, but I worked for this guy at this rafting company for many years, and we actually used to make fun of him because he was so earnest, and he'd come up and be like, Juliet, yeah. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really... There was a sign in the parking lot that said, you are a poem. Yeah, and you'd be and, like, ha, ha, yeah, I'm not a poem. But, you know, I realized he influenced me a ton and what he was doing was so important because you know I would have done anything for him for no pay and I realized he it was this it was because I felt valued and appreciated you know so I try to go out of my way and make sure my staff knows that I appreciate them I see how hard they work you know we know it wouldn't all happen without them and you know I think that's really missing I think a lot of people don't get that affirmation in their place of work ever Mm mm-hmm yeah and and not necessarily in their community of movement either well you know people belong need to belong to each other and sometimes it's an excuse to belong to each other and so like we're all in and i know i've been working out with juliet for three years but all of a sudden you know if the situation is i always have to go over and shake hands and hey how are you then like we've what we've done is just created a blocked pattern where yeah. I get the right result without consciousness. And that's yeah. what we're trying to be, right? Is that it's a, it becomes a learned behavior. It's really amazing. You know, and my, my daughters, you know, are comfortable. They walk around and just talk to people in the gym. And people are like, your seven-year-old just came up and, like, had a conversation with me. And I was like, did she, did she Your tell? seven-year-old was like, knees out, is what your seven-year-old said. <laughs> that's right, that's right. But, you know, Which she has done to people. To the point, though, is, you know, like hey, if we're going to become professional teachers, 
maybe we should have some theory around learning practices. Hey, what you're doing right now is a blocked practice. We need to move into some random practice. Mm -hmm. That means what we're seeing is that, hey, you can be a really excited, competent coach, but you still, people have done a lot of thinking about what is the best way to learn, how much learning needs to happen, you know, having a goal and a skill and, and little breakout. I mean, you know, I'm fortunate that in my formal doctoral training, I had a lot of communication theory and learning theory that, mm -hmm. that spills over into what we do. Yeah. But, you know, what we're telling people is like, hey, look, on the surface, it looks so simple. And yet the layers of understanding are complex. infinitely complex. And if you are going to be a master in this, you need to start today and then just keep working. Because <clears throat> what you'll see is that you may be coaching the same way. But now you understand how, and when the deviations come, you can easily roll them up. And that's that's the difference of master teacher. Yeah. Right? I think one other thing about the vibe, too, is that we, and a lot of it goes back to the original intention. I mean, we did not start this gym with the intention of having it be a business where we made money and had a big mm -hmm. staff. I mean, we no, started Joe was an it, attorney, yeah, and I, mean, I was we, a working physical therapist. Yeah, we started it with the intention of trying to create a cool place to train where we wanted to train, and I think that intention has really, you know, gone the distance because, you know, I think it's it's hard now. There's a lot of gyms, and I, I'm not sure there. I'm not sure that anyone can open a gym as organically as we did. Yeah. Um, however, I think you know, there's a lot of you know people are spending a lot of money and making everything shing and look perfect and have all the right things on the outside, but if you can't, if you can't somehow grasp that feeling of community and that positive vibe it doesn't matter what everything looks like and and we learned that from the parking lot yeah world. I was just gonna mm -hmm. say I mean right? because it was yeah. so gritty <laughs> and so cold yeah and it was right I mean like you know we should be deadlifting outside why aren't mm -hmm. we deadlifting outside yeah. and we certainly have lost some aspect of the right. awesomeness but it's nice not to be deadlifting in the rain and mm -hmm. mud all the time and doing burpees on the concrete right the but we had to make our product had to be the coaching and the vibe mm -hmm. because we didn't have anything else Right, so we had to be really good at those two things because we certainly didn't have like a wall or you know a bathroom, a bathroom, and people were doing burpees in little piles of glass. So you know that that helped the, the us. Force us to prioritize yeah. was important. It turned out those things happened to also be really important. Yeah, it's funny because that 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 resonates exactly with what we were talking about earlier with movement. It, when you create the right parameters, yeah. where there's there's restrictions on what someone can do, then all of a sudden they're going to express really powerful stuff. So being in a more difficult situation, you didn't have all the bells and whistles that are going to attract people. Right. You had to focus on the most important thing, right. and you created something amazing. Well, how about this? So you know, we used to we used to have some chain link fences, and then it was an eighty thousand square foot lot, like parking yeah. lot, right? And uh, it was all kind of fenced in and protected. But coaches could not be wimpy in their coaching. They had mm -hmm. to be so loud, and they had to carry and control and bring everyone together. And we'd have coaches come in from other gyms and they would evaporate <laughs> through the fence. Like they just would like to be like, okay, and now. And like we were, and literally all our coaches were like, these people suck. And I'm like, these are master coaches, <laughs> yeah. but who can't coach in any environment. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's that's one of those things that you know we you have to just be thinking about. But if the environment creates it, you know, we didn't yeah, have we didn't have to coach it because you know, everyone's feet were together automatically in the burpee when you're coaching it outside. You mm -hmm. have to control people's attention, you know? Yeah. That's really, that, that brings me back to this, this idea that I really wanted to dig into, which is this, this formal language and natural movement, right? Because my, my, what I do is, is teach people about movement in nature and moving sort of how we evolved. So evolve, move, play, right? Play, I think, is the best guide for what a human being really, um, 
evolution wants a human being to be able to do. Every kid runs, jumps, climbs, lifts, carries, throws, wrestles, dances, because those are the things that you needed to do to survive and thrive as a human being throughout our evolution. Um, yeah, at some point someone picked up a rock, and they picked up a heavier rock, and it's not an accident. In Scotland, they have these massive stones <laughs> that are like, it's the stone. Like the Husafeld mm -hmm. stone is just in a field. In a, yeah. Like a guy, it's just a field. It's not like a, it's not in a cage. Like you can just go up and pick up the Husafeld stone if you want. Mm -hmm. But it's, but it's the stone, if you can. But it's just <laughs> the stone that everyone played with. The expression of what we did turned into a game, turned into a contest, turned into technique to yeah. formalize the game. So... So I, I, you know, you talked earlier about all the formal training that you got started with a sort of non-formal sport, really a wild sport, moved into a very formal practice and now are going back into the wild. And I, uh, you know, I grew up in the uh, woods running around, got really into formal gymnastics, um, formal weightlifting. You know, I, I did my 223 Fran and deadlift 440 and did grace and... 147 or whatever it was. So I, I did that and, uh, and there was a lot of, that I gained from that. And then within my own practice, I've gone back into the wild and really kind of just trying to play and see what my body learned from that. Well, and let me just interrupt because what's important is that you start to understand how strong am I? Mm -hmm. How strong do I need to be? Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting idea. Yeah. Like I think every man should be able to pick up 400 pounds. Mm -hmm. Because that means you have good technique and you've done some lifting training. And everyone, yeah. it's, it, it's in a grasp. Being able to deadlift 225 safely for a couple reps is probably just as effective as being able to deadlift 400, mm -hmm. right? You know, I mean, the, the benefits may not, maybe the high level of sport, like I'm talking about like football or fast, maybe that does transcend. But recently for me, you know, I, you know, I've realized I am big enough. <laughs> I am strong enough. And that sounds ridiculous considering oh. how strong my friends are and things. Yeah. But my programming looks very different. Like if you saw how much aerobic work I do in the mm -hmm. week, you would feel sick. Yeah. It's hard aerobic so training. Kelly had this goal where he wanted to clean and jerk. How much was it? Clean 400. Clean mm -hmm. 400. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's kind of working towards it and focused on it. And then our mutual friend and colleague, Gray Cook, said, Kelly, you're not even known for that. Yeah. And that was just a little trigger in his mind that he thought, Wait, it's true, why am I doing He's that? Like, like the, I am the compensations, yeah. the, the adaptations, yeah. the things you're going to sacrifice to clean a 400. And then he was like, it's oh, never yeah. going to be worth that. Yeah, he's yeah. like, I'm strong enough and, you know, I'm not a professional, so good. You know, yeah. and he was able to sort of chalk, you know, and cross yeah, that I, off I, his I had that moment. Being this strong yeah. and this big outside the gym doesn't give me I mean I can uh, if you're moving a piano I'm your guy yeah right and it's fortunate I can still do a lot of pull-ups I can still run fast mm -hmm. I can still swim and do all the things but like I am I'm the largest paddler in the world <laughs> you know what I mean and I'm like does that serve me mm -hmm. especially so it's really it, I think the conversation becomes hey I was competent enough mm -hmm. now I squat a little bit all the time because it makes my hips work better when I'm on the bike or rowing or paddling. Yeah. So my my reasons for doing the things changing and the volume changes, et cetera, et cetera. You know? Yeah, I, I had a really similar experience. I I was chasing 500 on my deadlift. You know, I'm starting to make compensations, doing some round back deadlifting, listening to powerlifters saying it's, a, it's it's cool, bro. It. It's good. It's that that that's how I mean you're that's how you're gonna lift the heaviest weight. That's what matters, right? Um, right. And, and so I went to work with, I went to be tested by Sparta Performance Science. And they said, well, the, 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 the aspect of your force production that, that correlates with, um, with the deadlift is really strong. And the aspect that correlates with your split squat is really weak. And that makes you really prone to injuries, which is why you've just torn your Achilles tendon and done all these other things. 
Um, so was, did I need a 500 pound deadlift to do what no, I do? You did not. And, uh, and, and, it's, and here's the deal. <laughs> if that's important to you, yeah. because you want to lift the Husafeld stone, yeah. we're not saying don't do it, but we're saying you can't take your eye off the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Or if you do, you're going to have to come back to it eventually. Take care of the, of the whole thing, right? I mean, I can keep pursuing the deadlift, but I better take care of those other things that don't keep me from blowing out my Achilles tendon. You know, our friend Brian McKenzie does a really good job for a long time saying, hey, look, you know, you should be able to run a 5K all out, mm -hmm. and really 10K, and you just need to keep an eye on your running. But if you're not mm -hmm. running, that 10K is going to suck. You know, but you should have some base aerobic competency. Yeah. And, you know, oh, boy, we're right back at Hebert, and, like, why can't you swim mm -hmm. 1K? Like, what is yeah. wrong with you? You know, like, there are some things that we should be able to do that we have gotten off the deep end on sexy because it yeah, feels yeah. sexy and I feel so strong and I like being all massive and my jeans are tight. Come, I suck at everything else yeah. if I'm not careful. Yeah, I, I was raised in that era of, of kind of physical culture where it was like aerobic, any sort of aerobic system training is bullshit. You don't need that because you just want to be explosive. Um, stretching doesn't work, right? Um, now, of course, I'm kind of going the other way. I'm like, well, I need to be able to recover from my exercise, I need to be able to sleep well, I need to be under less stress in general. Hey, the aerobic system affects all those things. I need that. I'm 210 pounds in a sport where the average athlete is 145 pounds. And 5'1". <laughs> so, 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 so maybe, maybe, maybe getting bigger and getting stronger isn't really the thing that's limiting me from the performance that I want. And, uh, and yeah, so we're we're just going back to you know the basics, the basics, the basics. What, and, and what's what the goal? Was talking so about. I can so suddenly, I think if we went through the basics, you know, I think you and I would be, you know, we we would check the boxes on basics really mm -hmm. well. Yeah. And then it really comes down to what do you want to do with this thing? Mm -hmm. You know, so if it's just talking about staying alive and managing your stress, well, that we can we can we know what that pattern looks like. If it talks about being ready to go for a hike the Grand Canyon with a backpack on, yeah, or carry your kid out when your car gets a flat, I mean like. Those are the things that are, are interesting. And I really like what Chris McDougall says about his definition of fitness. Are you useful? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that means, you know, like yes. if, you're, if you're 70 and you can't get out of the chair, that's not very useful. You know, so what is your fitness that's useful? What is that? When, and then you can define that within the terms. But you cannot make a specious argument that because you're ish, functional-ish, mm -hmm. right, or you can achieve a task, that that's full capacity. So mm -hmm. what you're saying, it takes me an hour and a half to warm up. We have some problems. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Besides getting the blood out of your stomach yeah. and waking your nervous system up, it shouldn't take us an hour and a half to get going. No. You know? And and you can you can have a very high level of performance. And this is what we're talking about with like the Seahawks players and the professional athletes that you work with. You can have a very high level of performance and actually be very far away from general function as a human being. Or I, and I would even go further to say that you're still compromised in your high you may be the best yeah. in the world, but you are still have the handbrakes on, but because you're a genetic mutant, and I don't think people realize that there are mutants amongst us, yeah. mutants, mm -hmm. that you can buffer that until one day you can't. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as you're at, boo, that's a... Fragile and suddenly. Yeah, you become fragile, that's right. So, you know, I think the conversation is, hey, let's, and I like what Greg Cook has been saying lately, he's like, hey, look, 
practicing medicine without um, you know vital signs is malpractice. Mm -hmm. Why are we practicing movement without benchmarks of position and capacity? And that means you should be able to hold a plank. Why? Because you know crawling, and that means you have the control through the shoulders, and those are basic shapes. I'm not saying you need to train plank every day, yeah. but show me that you understand how to affect a neutral spine. That as soon as I tip you in gravity a little bit, you don't sag. Yeah. Right. Those are the the benchmarks. You know. Do you have full range of motion in your shoulder? Because if you're missing full range of motion in the shoulder, going somewhere. So let's establish base marks. Then the way you want to practice and be with your kids and the way I want to practice with my kids, that's just a family differences, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, full range of motion in your shoulder. <laughs> you're like, no. You know what's interesting? Anyway, we got to jump out. Okay, yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It was great. Thank you. Yeah. See you guys in a minute. <laughs> Uh, you know, we've been playing around in the pool a lot lately. So mm -hmm. we came to some of this interesting pool training with Laird Hamilton yeah. and through by Brian McKenzie. And it's things like take this 40-pound dumbbell and swim it across the pool and back. Wow. Right? And, and what you'll see is you either hooked up and connected or you're not because you can't swim. Mm -hmm. And so we create a situation where it's a one or zero in that, yeah. right? And you can tell the people who have good range of motion and are well connected, they can go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And that becomes so interesting. Like test your fitness or test your competency in as many different realms as you can. Yeah. You know? And that's, I think that's a big aspect of, of what I'm doing with Evolve Me Play, which is, look, human beings play in these, all these different patterns. Kids don't just, they're not just like, eh, I'm just going to run. That's all. That's it. That's my whole physical practice. Right. They're like, oh, that, we were f having fun running. We're kind of bored with that. Now we're going to go throw something. Now we're going to go play a ball game. Now well, we're going to go wrestle. My daughter is literally, we just, we had her genetics tested. Yeah. yeah. And, and she is at the 99th percentile for aerobic endurance function. Beautiful. Right? And she's an amazing runner, big kid. Mm -hmm. run, like, she's a runner. She mm -hmm. runs as beautifully as any human being I've ever seen, right? Yeah. She's now seven. What I can, and she's so fast. And what I can tell you is that we were like, oh, let's do some track. And she was like, I hate this. Yeah. You know, because it was the opposite of exactly what you're talking about. You know, she's just like, this is, you know, she's like, it's so boring. And I'm like, no, no, it's so good for you. Go around to the 400. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, you can see why that didn't, didn't resonate with her at all. No, I mean, you know? so there's, there's an enormous wisdom in play. Play, like, cats stalk and pounce things as kittens because that's how they catch their prey as adults. Dogs chase things and play tug of war and roughhouse because that's how they catch things. So human children have an inherent idea of the basics, right? If you go back and look at Georges Chabert's basics of human movement, every kid is going to express those naturally in their play regularly. And what I think is really powerful about play is that this is also our best motivation system, right? Oh, We're yeah. talking about, okay. Do we gamify everything? Yeah, one hundred percent. And if you, I mean, and you, uh, you're you're so spot on. I think if if you could game everything, mm -hmm. and literally when I think when Cross when they put it on a clock, it became a game. Yeah. And that's why people were like motivated by by winning and losing, or playing a game, or competing, or being on a team, mm -hmm. or solving a problem. I mean, one you nailed it. Now let's take that consciousness and actually enrich the games. I think that's mm -hmm. so smart. Yeah. So that's that's what we're working on. And, and that brings me back to this kind of the, the, the really the interesting question for me because I'm, I'm doing this natural movement thing and I've gone really deep into this aspect of, of kind of what is this inherent wisdom of the body? What does my body want to do? Right? Like right now actually, I'd like to be able to squat a little bit. That sounds fantastic. Right? So we're standing in extension for quite a long time. Body wants to go into flexion. Are we listening to those signals? 
that's that's not necessarily a game, but that's that's the type of intuitive wisdom that's coming out of of moving. But we have to understand that we're not natural movers. We're not in a natural situation. Sitting at a desk for any extended period of time is not what a human being naturally does. Being in a car for an extended period of time, being on flat ground. I, I love what Katie says about casts, being in casts and flat ground. We don't think about the fact that, yeah, you're doing all this cool movement practice, but it's flat, man. Okay, you've got great crawling patterns on flat ground. Why does a human being need to be able to do a million different crawling patterns on flat well, ground? I think also you're getting to the, the uh, interesting pieces. One of the are so a lot of the conversation I have with my coach friends is, what are the elements of formal practice that make physical competency in children? Yeah, I think it's a sliding sport, right? Mm-hmm. So you're surfing, you're skating, okay. you're skiing. Probably some hand-eye. Mm-hmm. You've got to have some hand-eye, and then there's somewhere. You know, whether you like it or not, yeah. like swinging a racket. My daughters play volleyball. There's some, like some aspect, because you know, Georgia now can catch a ball and throw like it's your job because she plays volleyball all the time, right? She's competent manipulating something moving in space, right? You you'd have be, to, right? You'd be amazed at some of the guys in the parkour community, the most beautiful, amazing movers you've ever seen, flipping off buildings, cannot catch a ball for their lives. Right? Couldn't shoot a basket at all. Those systems are, 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 are connected, right? In order to be a great basketball player, you need to be able to run and jump well. But in order to run and jump well, you don't actually need to be able to have hand-eye coordination. But if you want to be a good human mover, you got to have both. You know, I was in football, so I'm good at pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. But when I, I literally thought I wanted to play high-level football, so that yeah. was my whole life for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was really good when, when things were happening. I man, it was like slow motion, and I could, and I was always uh, in and get the tackle or find the seam. Yeah. And it's because I spent so much time kayaking and skiing where I was taking input and making pattern and making decisions about what was happening in real time. And I'm like, oh yeah, because I've been kayaking since I was 12. Mm -hmm. By the time I was tackling when I was 17, you know, I was like, this is the same. And coming to it now, because what I'm really talking about is, you know, what, one of the definitions we have of of best athlete, and Mm -hmm. I say athlete, I mean like best human, is who can pick up the skill the fastest. What set of preconditions create so that someone you can pick up a brand new skill and a you can substitute the word for skill for sport or skill for survival or skill for movement or skill for richness right what what preconditions need to exist so that you have the language that suddenly you can just transplant over yeah. and that becomes an, a very intellectually interesting question like our daughters are on the swim team and and it's not because I want them to be swimmers I don't think they're, they're not going to the Olympics in swimming I can tell you that yeah right but the breathing that it forces like they have to learn how to breathe and work mm-hmm. Right, so we start to get some cardiorespiratory training at an early age, and you know it takes decades to develop that system. They're competent in the water. They are like you know they can swim, they can hold their breath, they can go down to the bottom of our 11 foot pool. You know our pool is 11 feet deep. They can mm-hmm. carry dumbbells. They're just so functional in that water that I've been able. Now we can go surf, and we can like now we have a language where you know our kids are are so fluent in these other things. So that that really for me becomes you know the interesting question what what are the core blocks that make the meal of who we should be as a human and how does that evolve boy that's this is a life's work to work yeah on. it's really interesting because when we get out in the wild it's, it's generally a totally different thing right like when i was uh, i went surfing recently i haven't done a lot of surfing but i really enjoyed it the couple of times i went and so we went out surfing and i was i was sitting there waiting for the wave and getting smashed by this water and there's current coming sideways right so we got the waves coming in we got the current we've got all the things going on underneath me and then you have 
we went up for two days, and the first day the waves were kind of cra uh, were, were cresting at a certain rate, and the next day they're cresting at a different rate. And so it meant the timing of when you jumped on the board was actually totally different between the two days. Right. And, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is the most amazing movement nutrition, right? Like, think about all the different systems that are being turned on and engaged for my body when I'm in that environment. And yet, my brain. All the surfers I know who don't also have a move practice have bad backs, bad shoulders, not very fit, can't run. You know what I mean, yeah, so what we were seeing is like, wow, I take my skill set, drop into an environment, and is if that's the only thing I do, and if you get off on surfing, dude, surf. Yeah. But just do not pretend that you're not going to have some blind spots. So we have this, you have to move like, like a human being. You have, to, you have to engage the whole physical system. If you're not throwing, your shoulder's not developing. I mean... Th that's probably the single most unique human movement adaption. Like people talk about our endurance running. That's, we're pretty good at that. Wolves are pretty amazing at that. A lot of other animals. There's nothing else that can throw a 90 mile an hour fastball. There's nothing else that can put an atlatl through a woolly mammoth, right? Use an atlatl through a spear through a woolly mammoth. So here, do you have hand-eye coordination? Can you throw? If you're not doing that, that's something you're missing. Can you jump? Can you squat? Right? You know, I, you know there, uh, I think it was you who told me that there was a correlation between kids who I can't remember who it was but kids who had a tree in their backyard yeah, and being able to do pull-ups mm -hmm. well kids who live in snowy environments can all throw because there's snowballs there we go live, literally swear to god there's yeah. one to one it's really cool yeah. you know that uh, my kids suddenly become very interested in learning how to throw when, when there are snowballs around yeah so so we so with the wild movement the natural movement what I'm trying to do is say how do we find these environments that are really rich and really get people to naturally engage with this movement but there's a, there's a tendency here that I think this is what I'm really interested in getting your perspective on. There's a tendency to kind of think, well, we don't need that formal stuff once we've engaged in the playful stuff because obviously that's kind of the root. Like, we didn't always have a formal education system. We, we just lived as natural human beings. We self-organized and it was great. The problem that is that most people are nowhere near having a full natural life. They have a natural movement session and they go back to living an unnatural life. And even if they're like, even if they can burn their clothes and go live in the woods, how many years of that do they have versus the thousands of hours of sitting that they've gone behind? The, the show that my kids watch and I let them watch obsessively yeah. is Naked and Afraid, <laughs> which is such a beautiful yeah, expression. Yeah. Not, and, and my kids watch it for the environmental loads, and it's because it's funny that they're naked. Mm -hmm. But we watch it because it's the interpersonal of the physicality, like yeah. solving these problems and what, how that gets you to expose your foibles and your vulnerabilities and the, the holes in your psyche about mm -hmm. being cold, being comfortable. You know, we started a, a cold, an ice bath practice for central nervous system. We keep it as far away from training. I'm not talking about yeah. icing after training, mm -hmm. but it re resets the central nervous system and trains us to like, so when Georgia takes an ice bath every night before she goes to bed, like there's three inches of ice and she lowers herself in the water and she knows that it's not about how long she stays in the water because that can be variable it's about how well she breathes when she's in the water so she doesn't default to this like shock <laughs> breath she's taking these full breaths you know the, and and that's the consciousness that we could then put back on to um, you know how much formal training do I need you need enough to support that that's yeah. all and no more Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, the more time you spend here, the richness that is great. You know, Jeremy Jones, one of our you know favorite snowboarders, a friend of ours, mm -hmm. he was like, "Look, if I'm going to go into the world and carry a pack, I better carry a pack in the world because that's the best way to get in train. He trains on this uneven train with a heavy backpack, mm -hmm. right? That's yeah. how he gets ready to climb mountains with a backpack on. Mm -hmm. Comma, 
that guy also has a pretty good practice back home, and it's yeah. enough. Will Gad is another great, great guy, phenomenal paraglider, Red Bull athlete, mm -hmm. and um, you know he sets up his house to be a jungle gym play, where he can do his formal stuff. And sometimes it's very rote. He rows and does deadlifts. Like that is just you know. For me, the, like the, the simplest expression of formal... I have a 180-pound stone at home. I run a little bit. I pick up the stone until I don't want to, and I run a little bit more, and I pick up the stone, and then I do that until I'm done. Yeah. And I, it's open-ended. There's no clock. It's what, I'm starting to fatigue. I'm slowing down. There's something thing, or I'm going really long. I leave it an open-ended task. But for me, I'm like, that is very formal and not very sexy, and I haven't touched any corners, but it's the minimum dose to keep myself alive until I have the time to be more explorative. Okay. Yeah, that minimal dose and everything are taking care of, what is the thing that you have to take care of every day? Like for me, it's been this idea of get up and take a walk. And a walk for me isn't just like walking on the flat ground. I go somewhere in nature and I'll climb a tree. I will do some low level vaults, but it's all kind of at that walking pace. It's all at this like, I'm not trying to stress my body out. I'm not trying to, to push to intensity I love there. It. I'm working on a, something I'm calling like it's sun salutation for the modern person yeah like what is a five minute practice in your gym mm -hmm. I mean in your garage where you yeah. at least touch these corners yeah so that they don't go blind to you for a day or two because that's mm -hmm. the problem yeah you know hey by the way since no one programmed pull-ups for you in a week yeah. you haven't put your arms over your head in a week <laughs> like you know what I mean like what do you think happens if you didn't touch your face for a week you'd be like oh it's so stiff I can't yeah. touch my face so that's the question is you know are we movement snacking enough mm -hmm. through the day where I can hit those things. Well, a good warm-up, a dedicated warm-up, can at least get you to touch those positions in your brain and tell the tissues, we're not going there a lot today, but we're still going there and I still have it. And that's that's that idea, you know? That's why I love climbing trees is because all of a sudden overhead, gonna happen. Reaching into all these little different corners, being, um, you know, in this position, reaching this way, reaching this way, reaching side to side. Um, full dorsiflexion of the ankle oh, massive. while also stretching all the way through here. So you're wrapping that fascia all the way from the hand down into the foot. Um, or comma, just climbing a tree. Just climbing a tree, yeah. Climbing a tree is, is, a, is a huge, is, a, is actually, I think, a really wonderful way to try and hit all these corners that you're talking We're about. We're working on a, um, a dedicated teaching space near mm -hmm. our house yeah. just for courses. And the gym, you, the structure you had at Park Revisions Oh, yeah. has lived in my brain because the kids come in and they start climbing like monkeys mm -hmm. and it's amazing to see, yeah. right? And this the swinging and literally we pick up my daughter and my younger, we pick up our kids yesterday after care and, and Carolyn's, wait, 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 wait. And she walks over to this bench and it's her thing she does before she gets in the car and she jumps and she tries to spin around twice and get back to the bench and it's just like her game mm -hmm. and she's like, oh, I messed it up and she does it like six times and finally I'm like, Caroline, that's enough to swing it. <laughs> How dare you, like, you know. But uh, that that thing, you know, those are the things, you know, we have a slack line in our house, mm -hmm. our kids are in the pool every day, you know, we, 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 you know, we're in the garage and I have a rope in the garage and gymnastics rings and it's just noise. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's fun is that you can turn play into all day long, it doesn't have to be formal play, it can just be spontaneous play. Then, you know, one of the great things is that we, we I really want my kids to skateboard. Mm -hmm. you know, I picked up skating late, even though I could ski, and board, so I picked up fast. But uh, we just got this golf board, mm -hmm. which is like an electric golfing surfboard. It was invented for golf, but it's like a surfboard. Okay. But it goes 12 miles an hour, and it rips turns. 
and Georgia is on it. Like she comes home, she's like going out for the golf board and watching her figure out where to put her hip and weight balance and plan ahead. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, wow, you know, just more background noise. You know, yeah. just fantastic. Yeah, create more rich movement environments. Like this is a big part of this movement hygiene thing is what do you have available to you? Right? Everyone needs something they can hang from. Right? Yeah. Everyone needs I think you yes. need diverse services, right? You shouldn't be on flat, hard ground all the time. Like if we can have just a play, an outdoor place for someone to go where they can squat down on something that's not just the same type of surface that they've been in on indoors all the time. We can take a walk on something like that. Um, the more stuff that we can get like this and just feed the nervous system, feed the, the tissues, more different loading vectors, more kinesthetic information, you're going to have a structure that's more resilient, more adaptable, and you're going to be a lot happier and have more fun. Well, you know, I, I think... You know that sounds great, and then then you go to New York City, and you're like, okay, uh, this is gonna be this is gonna be trickier. Yeah, yeah. So then it, it really becomes a question of you know what aspects of that play or that richness can I import, and I think that's what we need to do. You take, you know, a move a natural movement practice is high concept. It shouldn't be, but it's high yeah. concept. The way we live now. Yeah, right? it is. So how do we take the best tenets of that and apply? And that's what we need to do. You know, yeah. even if it means hey, these are monkey bars. Mm -hmm. Show me how creative you can get on the monkey bar. Let's play a monkey bar game where you can't do the same pass twice. Yeah. And we're going to do this for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, and boy, that becomes very, very, very interesting very quickly. So, I, I, you know, these are the converse, uh, ongoing conversations I think are important. Some things that I've, I've learned is that I've started a breathing practice. Huge. It's 15 minutes every day. And it's not about meditation. That's a side effect. It's about mechanical ventilation. It's, mm -hmm. And then I do a breath holds on the end. This is Wim Hof. I've yeah. gone down that Wim Hof pathway. Beautiful. And... Uh, you know, like I don't feel right unless I've primed, you know, and boy, that's almost like stretching for my lungs, and I use mm -hmm. stretching in a loose term, right? Yeah. Um, but also the consciousness, uh, you know, thinking about, hey, I want to do a goal, so suddenly I, I taper my, my movement practice into solving a goal problem. Um, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just try to eat more vegetables in a day. Those are the things that I think can be in a constant conversation, and remember, I think the pendulum does this right mm -hmm. and you catch perfect every other time right yeah. but there's a moment where you're like damn it i crushed it today mm -hmm. and then you, tomorrow you're on an airplane and you're crippled yeah. so what does that mean how do i manage that those are the applications i think we can really change people's lives with yeah how we can find that in in some balance between find what you love engage with it engage and play and, and find the thing that motivates you but then ask yourself what are you missing what is the thing that is going to unlock that next level for you. Yeah, and you know, if you can't do a pull-up, red flag. You know, yeah. if you can't do a push-up, red flag. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can't if you can't squat all the way down with your ankles on the ground, red flag. And that mm -hmm. doesn't mean, and this is the goal, I think, for people, is that we say muscles and tissues are obedient dogs. Mm -hmm. It means that you're always in a learning state, and you can always learn and pick up a new skill, always. Tissues become a little less compliant, but they'll come around always. So it's never too late to have a conversation. And we recognize that people come from some background. That, you know, I don't know your injury history, I don't know your work history, your stress history, I don't know if you had cancer. It doesn't matter. You're either complete or incomplete, mm -hmm. right? It's yes or no, it's, it's developing. It's not good or bad. It's just you have incomplete shoulder position. I don't know, because you carry body armor and a gun for six yeah. months, you know? So great, well that allows us. So that what we need to do then, the only other critique I have about what's happening is that people are not also thinking this is a diagnostic process. You know, hopefully the movement practice starts to solve some things, but I can also guarantee you that we are incomplete movers because we're modern. Yeah. Because we come to it late, right? Yeah, this is a really interesting thing 
for me is going into formal systems, trying to learn the diagnostics, and then trying to apply them to a natural movement. Trying to say, you know, I need to know what your shoulder can do. I need to know what's happening at your hip. I need to know what's happening at your ankle. And now that I've developed a really good eye for that using FMS, using uh, some of your stuff, some of Katie's stuff, some whatever it is, now when I take somebody out and have them move in a tree and climb, all of a sudden the pattern becomes clear. So we have to be, we have to be going back and forth between formalizing and objectivizing these uh, physical exercises, finding what, what is there, and then going back to what is the root of them. Because We'll never, we'll never capture all the information of what it means to move through a tree well, in any formalized. What, what, what do I need to do? Why do I need to do a pistol? What, mm-hmm. I mean, literally, a one-legged squat. My, like, I'm never going to do that in nature mm-hmm. until I'm on a tree and I'm lowering myself to another tree, or I'm on the edge of a cliff mm-hmm. or edge of a step, and I have to lower down, and then I'm in that position automatically. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the the issue is that we we're just not clever enough to have connected the dots. What we recognize is the pistol forces me to have full ankle range of motion control on a single leg, mm-hmm. right? All the thankful hip range of motion. But that's not the thing that we actually care about at all. In yeah. fact, training that, that's good. But more importantly, being able to understand it and see how it relates and see that that is the diagnostic. And that's why I think we've had good success with MWAD is saying <clears throat> the language, classic language of conditioning and strengthening can also be a diagnostic tool. Yeah. So that we can we can converge what everyone agrees on because I don't care if you believe in you're in the world I know you believe in the push-up or getting up off the ground mm-hmm. right and and this is a crappy pattern and this is a pattern that translates to everything else right yeah. so you know why aren't we seeing that well it's difficult to see that in more dynamic environments with a little bit more noise it's easier to see it on the ground mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so as soon as you can then see it then maybe you need to do it less on the ground Right, yeah. less in the gym, but we have to give people the language because what I have seen over the last thirty years or forty years is that, you know, it's just it's not working. Let's do more of it. I don't know why. You yeah. know, oh, you got hurt. Oh, that's you know, that's that's where we can really start to make changes. Yeah, know? and we can improve this. And this you experience this yourself going through kind of a wild practice, saying, you know, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm doing all these really cool things, I'm gaining, but stuff's getting stuck, and I don't know what it is. That's right go into a more formal practice, you learn something, you can go back and say, oh, well, that's obvious. That if my shoulder was in the wrong position, that's right. that I'm not gonna uh, be able to keep getting better at paddling at a certain point, it's yeah, just gonna get broken. And, that's, and I think that's, what, that's what's amazing. You know? and, then, and then also we do see people who, who it's apologetics, where they're like, oh, I don't go into the gym. You know, I have, we have two neighbors who are like mountain bikers. Mm-hmm. And like we were training in our garage, and we have a pretty sophisticated movement practice, Juliet and I, yeah. for a couple of middle-aged mm-hmm. people. And they were like, they were laughing at us and like, our gym's out there. And I was like, you're on a fucking bike. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's some good stuff happening there. Mm-hmm. But dude, you are not competent in any other realm except your little mountain bike with your hunchback and your, you know. And so I think what we just need to make sure is that we're not forsaking completeness or possibility. And then, you know, then we can really talk about what is self-actualization physically. Mm-hmm. And, and we should be chasing that. Why, don't, yeah. why aren't we refining? Why mm-hmm. can't, you know? What, this thing is so remarkable, and with just a little care and feeding, you won't tweak your back, you won't wear a hole in your kneecap, you won't blow your Achilles. These are, these are tissues that are designed to go the distance. It's our error in the way we move and the way we feed them that it's our fault. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's a good spot for us to kind of uh, to stop the conversation for today. Oh uh, man, we can we can do this. This is this is what people understand. The, my friends who are thinkers, we're, you're nerds. You are yeah. such a nerd. Yeah. 
I just read a quote that was like, you should strive to lead a life where you don't need a vacation from. Mm-hmm. That is what's happening. Like, yeah, absolutely. Literally, like, we work hard, but this is it. I mean, this is work and play, and this is what I'd be doing in my, if you weren't paying me anyway. Yeah, yeah, Thanks, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. Look forward to doing it again. Thanks, guys. <laughs>